young man who was caught while he was stealing food to feed his starving sister's family. Justice had to prevail. Imprisoned and double sentenced for the crime and for trying to flee when caught, the angry young man became a bitter middle-aged man after 19 years of prisons. When he finally was released, this immovable man met an irresistible force. Love. Forgiven for a worse crime than stealing bread, this man was twice redeemed from his slavery, first in his body by the priest, and secondly, slavery in his soul by his Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Let loose then on the world again, this man did change, and he became a great man known for his integrity and his relentless work ethic. Years later, his past still haunting him, he learned that another man had been caught and blamed for his crimes, and that this man was to be sentenced to slavery, imprisoned for crimes that he did not commit, but Jean Valjean did commit. Jean Valjean indeed battled between denying his past to save his present and continuing to trust the God who had rescued him before and would rescue him again. Dealing with this battle, he said, Can I conceal myself forevermore? Pretend I'm not the man I was before. And must my name until I die be no more than an alibi? Must I lie? Can I ever face my fellow men? However, how can I face myself again? My soul belongs to God. I know I made this bargain long ago. He gave me hope when hope was gone. He gave me strength and strength. Who am I? Who am I? I am Jean Valjean. Valjean knew that to be a Christian meant to choose to make God look good by showing the world that our God is worthy of the kind of trust that changes not only our lives but the world. Now you may know the story. It's an adaption from Victor Hugo's book, Les Miserables, and became the greatest movie in this millennium in 2012. Yes, this movie is great because the art is spectacular. This movie is wonderful because it is tear drenchingly real to life, and it is true. Because the message is one of redemption by grace. Exactly the story that you and I need to repeat to our hearts. If you have a spare three hours one day, I highly recommend you finding this 2012 version of Lagos. Uh, you will do yourself a favor. But it's also a great story because it makes a great introduction to the sermon. Because Valjean's question, who am I? Am I still that man who stole the bread and then committed worse crimes than that? Is that still me? Or am I the man who has been ransomed by Christ and now I can live a new life depending on 
him. Valjean lived knowing that he could trust God to redeem him again. Likewise, you and I can live knowing that God can redeem you, not necessarily from prison, but from wasting your life one empty afternoon at a time. Now, if you remember this series of sermons, we are seeking to answer the question, what questions or what principles ought Christians to ask about how we invest our leisure time, how we arrange our priorities in those times of the day that we're not either laboring to make a five, working to do our chores around the house, or sleeping. All of us have some time that is not spent doing one of those things, and as Christians who have been given the Holy Spirit, we ought to think about how we invest this time. How do we go about making these decisions? If you were here last week, you remember that I gave two principles or questions to ask ourselves regarding how we invest our time. The first one was to train yourself to consciously think about how you can devalue things that won't last. And the question I gave is, am I valuing things rightly? The point here is that we must think about what we are spending our time, our talent, and our treasures in, so that we know that we're using our time, our talent, and our treasures in the best way possible. The question we gave is, is what we are living for worth Christ dying for? And the second principle I gave, these are on the back of your sheet, by the way, if you look on your sheet, is to train yourself or deliberately consider how you value the good news and heaven being. Is Christ preeminent in my heart? Are you investing your time, your talents, and your treasure in your relationship with Jesus so effectively that if you were brought into court, you could prove that you were a Christian? Now tonight, we're going to change uh, tactics and understanding some principles involved in how we spend our time. Tonight, I want to look at what it means that we are created in the image of God. Because if we are created in the image of God, then there has to be something about that that will impact what we do, what we think, what we believe. And indeed, there is. There's been 3,400 years of people arguing about what this image of God is. But the only reason why that's true is because they didn't read the paper that I wrote about it, or they didn't hear the sermon I'm going to give you tonight. I'm going to read for us the passage where the image of God is described. It's in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created a male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing, that moves on the 
what I want to tell you is that one of the reasons we created the God's image is that we are created to represent God. The question, the first question that we'll address is what does it mean to be human? What does it mean to be made in the image of God? Human beings, if I'm right, must be creative, exist in community, exercise choice, and wear a crown. Well, that's going to take some understanding. We are charged with ruling over the creation that God has given us as his representatives. Now, if we indeed are created in God's image, then we have to ask ourselves, what is the image that Genesis and the rest of the Bible develops? What's the, the picture of God that we see that we are created in? Well, firstly, by looking at Genesis, the early chapters, we find that God is creative. Now, I know that hardly needs a defense in this room, but note that the Bible says, in the beginning, God created. He is the one who brought everything into being. And then in our uh, uh, passage, he says, let us make man in our image. He created not only the heavens and the earth, but he created us. We are his people. But then God is also described as being in community. This is true when he self-reflectively says, let us, let us, and we see now, looking back, we can see the Trinity in that. Maybe that wasn't clear to the first Jews, but it certainly is to us. And we find that God chooses. Now this, this is again, you think, well, this is a piece of cake. But God chooses in each and every one of the verses where God describes what he created as good. He's making a choice. He's making an evaluation about what is going on. Also, God specifically chose, chose to make man in his image. He said, let us make man in our image. And lastly, God exercises dominion. He is in charge. Or this is what I'm calling wearing the crown. You know, because if you're a preacher, you have to have four sleeves. You know, creative, community, choice, and crown. Thanks. I, I, love, I like the little chuckles. Um, he not only created everything and therefore has authority to do with it as he wishes, but by the simple fact that he gave us dominion over his creation, he is asserting, I have dominion, because you can't give authority that you don't have. Right? But today, I want to show how you and I image this. If the picture of God is that he is creative, that he exists in community, that he exercises choice, and that he is also has a crown, has dominion, then how is it that we reflect this? How is it that we are God's image in these ways? Now, I have to say from the outset, I am grossly oversimplifying a lot of things, uh, and in some places more so than others. But I think that we will find as we look, especially at the beginning chapters of Genesis, but then if, as you go home and look at the whole scripture, you will find these four things are also true 
and not only accidentally true, but essentially true of us as well. So God created us to represent Him. Now, I want to say something about that. What does it mean? What do I mean by representing? Why do I put a hyphen? Well, the first and obvious answer is we represent God. We are like ambassadors of His kingdom. That's a, that's a simple idea. But we also represent God. God has shown the world what it looks He looks like over and over again by sending prophets and priests and kings and then finally sending his own son Jesus Christ. But there are those who have never quote unquote seen God. They have never been given a credible witness as to what it looks like to be a person who is imaging God. And we need to represent him. We need to show him. We need to demonstrate what it looks like for God to be active in someone's life who trusts him, who puts their faith and their lives on the line to show that God is real. So I want to go through these one by one and see how it is that we represent God. And the first one is we represent God by living creatively. And the first is that we are created to be creative. We are we cannot create anything out of nothing like God can, but we are beings who are capable of acts engaging our imagination to solve problems of all kinds. To be creative means that you use your imagination and you think about how you can solve a problem. Now, for some, that problem may be how do I draw a boat? Or how do I how do I put this model together? There's all kinds of ways to be creative. But the point is, is that you have to use your imagination. You have to think, you have to consider what it is you are trying to do. And of course, most obviously from our text, we are created within no other way by having children. And that's exactly what verse 28 is talking about. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. But our creativity extends much further than this. The Bible commends that we use our creative talents uh, well. Proverbs 22, 29. Do you see a man skillful in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. The Bible is clear that it values our work. And the Bible affirms that we are individually created to do work that is ours and ours alone. We are created, we are to be creatively working, and that is how we honor God. That is how we take part in expanding his kingdom. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in. So, if these verses are true, then what is it that we take from them? What, what should we understand so that we can live creatively? Making most of our time that we're not spending making money, doing chores, or resting. And I'll give you a principle. I think the, the principle is we need to exert effort to do what we do well. And the question that we could ask in this regard is, Am I creating or am I consuming? 
So how do we go about being creative? There is, as I said, no aspect of life in which we cannot be creative. Some obvious areas would be gardening or woodworking. But almost any hobby can be considered creative in some way. I suppose navel gazing or you know, professional sleeping, neither of those would count. But creativity can be expressed in how you decorate your home or repair your car. Creative creativity can be demonstrated by how you write sermons or not. And your reports at work. Creativity can be lived in how you respond to what you hear is going along in the world around you, either in your immediate sphere or in the farther world. One of the big keys is that you must use your imagination. Creativity takes thought. It takes effort. In fact, one of the main problems with TV is not merely the content, although often that's deplorable enough. What is wrong with television is that one of the most harmful effects of many forms of media is that it encourages passivity. It encourages you to just lay back, turn off your mind, and forget about it. And passivity is the opposite of creativity, of engaging, of imagining and thinking about how you can solve this problem. Entertainment, as such, crowds out intentional creative living and therefore diminishes the image of God in us. We become poorer and poorer representers of God. So what's the answer? Do something. Do something that you really want to do. Quote Miss Grizzle, take chances, make mistakes, get messy. This is one of the secrets for living a good life. It is one of the secrets of being a person who represents God effectively. So, in order to live this kind of life of representing God, we represent it creatively. We also represent it we represent God by living in community. Because we are at the bottom of our beings. We are at the most essential part of us, creative and necessarily living in community, especially among other human beings. This is obvious from our passage. In verse 26, God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. In verse 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And in verse 28, God said, Be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. But a more tangible proof of this, if you want to see and smell and touch proof of this aspect of human beings, look at what happens to people who are shut off from community. Shut off because of age of illness or because of some sort of social rejection. My friends, at minimum, the image of God in us should give us pause when we are tempted to belittle someone who has offended us or who has driven too slowly in the lane in front of us. 
because when we are condemning them, we are excluding them from humanity in our heart. And I can't help but think this is exactly what Jesus is talking about when he says, if you call your brother Raka, you are endangering your soul with the fires of hell. Furthermore, when asked what the most important law is, Jesus responded in Matthew 22, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. My friends, this, right here, and the rest of the body of Christ, is the place where Eden makes a comeback. We are to be the community that shows the world what they missed when Adam and Eve were kicked out. That's why we are here. That's one reason why we are here. So that we can be healing for the nations, as the psalmist puts it. So that we can be healing for our souls. When you invest your free time in community among believers, for example, in such a way that the world sees it, you will increase what you sow a So what do we do? We apply ourselves to love others. Apply yourself to love other human beings. And the question we ask is, am I looking beyond or merely pleasing myself? Now, if you're seeking to live creatively, you may choose to engage in some hobby that you want to do. Listen. Take this home into application. Pick a hobby that you've always wanted to get started. Start it. And then say, hey, Pastor Greg told me this is what I was supposed to do. Why? Because when you start doing something like this, you're intentionally engaging in something creative. Getting away from being just passive and letting things hit you. And you can do good for those around you. You know who a great example of this is? Diane Jacobs. Every time I see Diane Jacobs, especially on Wednesdays, she's sitting there crocheting. Yes, I had to ask her. Crocheting and knitting. I'm not sure. It's crocheting. She sits and she crochets, and what does she do? She takes these blankets, and then she gives them to people. What is that? You're doing creative work, and you're living in community. That's a great example. Find something. Make wooden widgets, right, Mike? And give them to people. Why? Because you love making wooden widgets, and why? Because people need to remember, need to know that you love them. And that you're something special. You haven't got time for that because you've got too many other things? Find a small hobby. Make your hobby writing encouraging notes and sending them on When we do, we will be sure that we are investing in who God created us to be so that we can represent him to the world. John 13, 34, 35, Jesus says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. How? Because you're investing your leisure time to do something you've been wanting to do for years anyways, and they're giving it to somebody else who needs to see that they're loved. Um, a friend of mine, his name was Mike Jones. I know that nobody else is going to have 
he decided, he came to church and he decided that there's 168 hours in the week. And he decided that not, he didn't want to just tithe his money, he wanted to tithe his time. So he gave 17 hours of his week to the church or to doing stuff for other people. Now he was a drunk. Those guys were all drunk in bed. But one of the ways that he did it, that 17 hours of week, was he took his own God bless him, because that's what Rabbi did for everyone else. But that is how God created us to represent Him to those who are around us. God wants us to represent Him by living creatively, by living in community, and then by choosing rather than drifting. First of all, we see Adam was given the choice of what to call the animals in 219. It says, So out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them, the choice of naming them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was his name. Furthermore, and tragically for you and I, Adam was given the faithful choice to obey. And the Lord commanded him. God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And while that was a, indeed a tragic place, God knew that in giving us choice, that He, even redeemed our sinful choices, God can redeem even our mistakes. That should give you courage. As you go about making choices about how you invest your leisure time, God can even redeem your mistakes. So don't be afraid. Then the New Testament assumes that choice is a necessary part of human existence. In fact, it bases our salvation on it. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Now, this would take a whole lot longer than five minutes in the sermon to explain how choice relates between us and God. And I don't, I'm not going to go there tonight. Instead, I want to give a principle. And the principle is to reject passivity as our decision maker. This is one of the biggest faults in our nation today is we have abdicated responsibility to do anything and we've just said no. I've been telling my boys for years what it means to be a man is that you are willing and able to take responsibility for yourself and those who depend on you. That is what it means to be a man. I've been telling that to my boys for years. What does it mean to be a woman, ladies? It means that you're willing and able to take responsibility for yourself and those who depend on you. That is what so, the question then is, am I drifting in the world or am I submitting to God? You are in a war. Far worse than the war that is in the Maidana Square in Kiev. Far worse than the war that is in Sierra, um, Syria right now. You think that the culture war that we are in is about news broadcasts? 
It's about your soul. It's about your neighbor's soul. This war has everything to do with individual souls, and therefore we must fight that kind of war. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. For though we walk in the flesh, we are fleshly beings. We are not waging war according to the flesh. Don't go picking up guns to fight this war. That's not what it's about. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What's a stronghold? A stronghold is that rut that your mind gets in whenever you think about something and you're thinking the same thought over and over and over again, instead of putting the Word of God into your mind so that it can fill that up and give you different ruts, ruts that lead you to the cross. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ, being ready to punish every disobedience when your obedience is complete. Again, I would love to go off on that passage because we need to fight this battle between our beings and our minds. This war occurs in your thought life. You choose what thoughts you allow in your mind. Don't let anybody lie to you about that. You choose the thoughts that are in your mind by thinking over and over and over again about the same things. Begin to treat your thought life, especially when you are making decisions about how you will invest your leisure time as a war. Fight. Take captive your mind to obey Christ, and that is how you will represent God. Because He is worthy of spending your time on more than TV programs or whatever it is that you are currently covering. How do we represent God? We represent God by living creatively, by living in community, by choosing rather than drifting. And we represent God by taking responsibility over the areas of your what does it mean that we have dominion? What does it mean that we wear the crown as you do my secret? Well, in verse 126, God said, Let them have dominion over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And in Psalm 8 6, you have given him, mankind, people, dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet. So, obviously, an aspect of this dominion concerns creation around us. So we make parks, we build buildings, we make cities, we do things to make the world better. But we also recognize in Scripture, and I'm not going to go into defending this, but we understand from Scripture that there are three institutions. The institution, the family, the church, and political government. And God gives us very specific instructions on each of them. And in each of these, the family, the church, and the political government, authority and responsibility are huge factors when we have when we consider how do we relate in our family, for example, as a church, for example, as citizens of a nation, for example. But we also must consider that we have a responsibility to live in appropriate authority and relationship responsibility relationships in our friendship circles. Your buddy 
that you have coffee with every once in a while. You are in, broadly speaking, an authority responsibility relationship to that person. Admittedly, in normal cases, it's it's not like an upper lower. But there's a sense in which you owe this friend loyalty. You owe this friend a sense of pain. You're messing up right now. You need to think about how you need to get this straight. Or, I need to pray for you. How can we encourage one another? Or, hey, you know what? I'm struggling right now with this particular sin. Do you encourage and exhort and admonish me? When we consider our leisure time, the time that we are not spending laboring, earning a buck, the time that we are not spent spending working, doing our chores around the house and things that we do, and not spending sleeping, when we consider the various authority, responsibility relationships that we have, we will be more loving. And we will use our leisure time to better represent God. And therefore, we will be better men and women for it. No matter how big or how small your kingdom is. Maybe your kingdom is a garden. Maybe your kingdom is a woodshop. Maybe your kingdom is a kitchen or a garage. Or being responsible for someone or something you are, when you're doing this, you are exercising a part of what it means to be a human being. And if you completely abdicate and say, I am not going to be responsible for anything, Less than the good children. Recognize your authority and your responsibility, and then ask yourself, am I exercising dominion, or am I selfishly either abdicating, pushing away, or dominating, grabbing a hole and trying to rip it out of its system? Now again, I can't, I wish I could spend more time on this, but we must know that God created us in these relationships to live responsibly so that you can be true to be the man or woman that God created you. God created us to represent him to a world that desperately needs to see. Now Jean Valjean got it right. He learned when he was finally presented with the gospel and repented, he learned that his life needed to reflect the fact that God redeemed him. He saved him out of slavery in body and in spirit. And so now he was created to represent God as someone who could be trusted. Represented because God had shown himself trustworthy over and over again. Hamlet, on the other hand, refused to trust God. And as a result, if you are big on English literature, not this 19th century French literature, became depressed. And he completely rejected who he was created to be. Here are some words from Hamlet. What a piece of work is man! How noble in reason, how infinite in faculty. 
In form, how moving. In form and moving, how expressive, admirable. In action, how like an angel. In apprehension, how like a god. The beauty of the world understands the most beautiful in creation. The paragon of animals. And yet to me, what is this quintessence dust? And yet to me, what is this quintessence of dust? Man delights not in Hamlet could not bring himself to deny the majesty of the creature that God entrusted with his image. How noble in reason, how intimate in faculty, in form and moving out, express and admirable. Yet, Hamlet found that he could refuse to delight in either God or the person created in God's image. And this play, if you read it or watch it or uh, see it somewhere, reflects Hamlet's steadfast refusal to live in community and in exercising the God-given responsibility to exercise dominion over his own heart. And ultimately, Hamlet's depression, as a result of this refusal, finally ended his own life and the lives of five other people. His refusal to recognize the image of God in him and those around him cost the lives of six people. Now, you may believe that your denial won't affect so many. You may be tempted to believe, well, people aren't going to die because of the But my friends, that was exactly the lie that George Bailey brought. And it's the lie that Satan continues to tempt every one of us. Don't believe that lie because God created us to be presented. Oh Lord, God Almighty, we want, we long to be the kind of people who bring you glory because we reflect your glory and because we represent you to people around us so that they may see the love and the grace and the power of God in their lives so that they too may experience your grace. Help us to be those people this week for your glory, for the growth of your kingdom, and for our good. In Jesus' name. Amen. Don't stand and sing. All of those, my soul.